Welcome to the podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Marietta, where we are committed to changing lives with faith, hope, and love. We're so glad you are here. A second reading from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other language as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in their own language, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are full of new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The blood shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be blessed. The word of the Lord. Thanks. Uh, so today's Pentecost Sunday also considered the birthday of the Christian church. Celebrating birthdays is kind of a funny thing because the actual act of birth is chaotic and messy, yet we celebrate the day it occurs every year of our lives. I remember going to the hospital five days after my due date, finally, and we rang the doorbell to the hospital. We literally rang the doorbell, and they asked why we were there. And it was very surreal to say, we're here to have a baby. It was 2.22 in the morning. We got settled into our room, and contractions began to come a little more, more frequently with a little more intensity. And then I heard a woman in the hall screaming, 
screams that I thought were only relegated to movies. And at that moment, I almost put my thumb through the nurse call button because I wanted her to come in and give me my epidural right then. I had no interest in being the one making those sounds that I heard in the hallway. That was the moment I realized it's probably a good thing that we don't actually remember being born. It's loud, it's life-changing, it's scary, especially if it doesn't go according to plan. We've told our children their birth stories many times, but the story always centers around who was there. And we kind of stay away from the details of the actual process. I wonder if that's how the disciples felt on the first Pentecost. The day the Holy Spirit arrived in force. Think about it. They were there, hiding in the upper room, in their very own womb of sorts, keenly aware of Jesus' absence. They were wondering what on earth was theirs now to do. As they sat in that room, wrapped in the comfort of their memories of Jesus, the Bible tells us that their safe space was invaded by a violent wind. I imagine it feeling sort of like a real-life tornado. The winds burst in, so they immediately start looking for a table to hide under or a door frame to get into. But then, before they can find safety, flames burst onto the scene and start dancing above their heads. I imagine they froze at that moment because who's going to look for protection from wooden structures when fire's hovering above your head? The last thing they would want is to see the room that had been their sanctuary go up in flames. Can you picture it? They've lost their leader. The one they followed even more closely than other people did. And now every ounce of their security seems like it is literally going up in wind and fire. Have you ever felt that way? Completely vulnerable, your safe space disturbed, with no real place to turn to, and no real tangible person to lean on. And yet, we've come to worship today to celebrate this sense of being fully exposed. This is the birth of the church. There's no ribbon cutting, there's no fanfare of music, no huge crowd or fancy catered dinner. Instead, the birth of the church happens among a group of grieving, hopeful, terrified, wonder-filled, categorically human friends who probably feel completely unworthy of the mantle they've been given. Yet they're also awestruck because they've seen their friend Jesus do amazing things right before their very eyes. The church started small. It began as what I imagine some maybe considered a rogue friends group that espoused ideas that seemed foreign and maybe even a little bit crazy. But this group of friends now huddled together in the upper room that were speaking different languages as the spirit broke into their safe space now had a new chapter of their extraordinary story to tell. They were fresh off the heels of proclaiming the resurrection of their savior, and now they were exposed. Exposed as the seed from which the Christian church would sprout. Do you have a group of friends like that? A core from which you know will grow something grand? Or do you prefer solitude and the comfort you find there?
Our family has had some practice learning how to make friends in various life stages, and all four of us do it a little differently. I'm an introvert, so stepping into a new place socially is sometimes a little overwhelming for me, and I need some time to assess the situation before venturing into conversation. I definitely take time before I dig into building deep relationships. My husband is an extrovert. All the world's a stage and he commands it with his effervescent personality. He's got a joke for every situation and loves big groups of people. Our daughter is much like Philip. Everything to Lydia is glittery and infused with joy. And our son is more like me. He takes time to survey the land before choosing the one or two folks he's really going to invest in. It's fascinating, really, when you consider that we are all hardwired for connection. And here in 2022, it's flat out strange. We abruptly unplugged from our social networks nearly three years ago. And now we've just finished the first full year of in-person school since 2019. We keep getting told we're back to normal, but then news headlines pop up about baby formula shortages, children being gunned down in schools, and a continuing war in Ukraine that seems closer to escalation than it does to peace. What do all of these mixed messages do to our hardwiring for connection? We are designed for community, but the messages of looking out for number one are everywhere and they seem to get more aggressive by the minute. Joe shared with me a recent New York Times article that I found fascinating. The title of it is, How Many Friends Do You Really Need? My introverted self felt like I had already aced the quiz when I read the title, because I don't need scores of people, and frankly, sometimes scores of people make me a little bit tired. But in reading the words of the article, I got a little bit sad. It seems that 30 years ago, only 3% of Americans claimed to have no close friends. But that number in 2021 had jumped to 12%. And then only 12 months into this whole pandemic interruption, it had ballooned to the point that 13% of women and 8% of men ages 30 to 49 said that they had lost touch with many of their friends. I realized I fell into that category, partly because of life changes and partly because investing in relationships takes time and energy. Time and energy that I've redirected towards surviving a world whose identity seems to continually shift overnight. But it turns out there's some not so great news that comes along with losing connection to other people because we can end up running out of people to invite to our birthday celebrations. And what's a birthday without people to celebrate it with? How do we measure the depth of our days if we float along in isolation? That same article suggested the sweet spot is to have four or five close friends. That also struck me because of my four very, very best friends, I've lost most contact with three of them. Sure, we like each other's Facebook posts and comment on each other's statuses, but we haven't shared many meaningful, soul-level conversations in years. Years. 
It was jarring to acknowledge this reality, and it made me wonder, how might this Pentecost story guide my next steps? I imagine our last three years just might mimic the sense of upheaval and short-circuiting that the violent wind and tongues of fire must have created for the disciples. You may find yourself feeling like you've blown a few fuses and now some of your outlets don't work. I certainly feel windblown and like I'm dancing under fire these days. And so I wonder, what exactly is this season of disruption in 2022 preparing us to birth? What are we being sent out from the burning building to do? What are we being called out from our comfort zones to embrace? Where are we being sent to meet God and join in God's work? And with whom shall we go? Leaving comfort zones can be scary. Watching our safe spaces go up in flames is disorienting at best, but it's what we're called to do and reminds me of one of my favorite movies, We Bought a Zoo. It's the story of a dad and his children and how their grief after the death of their wife and mom plays out in their new life as zoo owners. They have no experience owning a zoo or even taking care of animals. Their safe has imploded and they're in a new town taking care of exotic animals and trying to figure out how to rebuild a life while missing their wife and mom. It reminds me a little of how the disciples might have felt with Jesus gone. Toward the end of the movie, the dad begins to tell his kids about when he met their mom. And he talks about how he had to work up the courage just to go speak to her at the coffee shop. And he tells them, you know, sometimes all you need 20 seconds of insane courage, just literally 20 seconds of embarrassing bravery, and I promise you, something great will come of it. That's what I believe we're being called to do, to lean into 20 seconds of embarrassing bravery, trusting the Holy Spirit will intervene in those seconds to make space for something great to come. Maybe that's why we don't remember our own birth. It's not about what we did in being born that took courage. It's the bravery of the people who ushered us into life and the courage of the saints who have gone before us and the sustenance of the God who created us that are celebrated at the moment of birth. It's no coincidence that the hardest part of labor when a child is born is called transition. Think about that for a moment. The time when the pain is the greatest, the strength is the weakest, the overwhelm is the largest, that is the very moment just before new life breaks into the world. A wise woman shared a great speech on New Year's Eve in 2017. She named big dreams for our nation, but I think her words ring true for our church. So I've borrowed many of her words and changed a few, so we might consider how they're speaking to us today. So the mother in me asks, what if? What if this darkness is not the darkness of the tomb, but the darkness of the womb? What if our church is not dying, but it's waiting to be born? 
What if the story of faith is one long labor? What if all of our grandfathers and grandmothers are standing behind us now, those who survived occupation and genocide, slavery and Jim Crow, detentions and political assault, what if they are whispering into our ears, you are brave? What if this is our church's greatest transition? And what does the midwife tell us to do? Breathe, and then push. Because if we don't push, we will die. If we don't push, our church will die. Today we will breathe, breathe in the presence of the Spirit, but tomorrow we will labor. We will labor in love through love, and God's revolutionary love is the magic we are called to show our children. So friends, I ask us this morning, what of God's revolutionary love are we showing our children? Where is the Spirit calling us to help breathe life into? Who are the people that you miss sitting with next to you at church? Which relationships have fallen fallow and need receding? Today, we breathe. We breathe into these spaces and places and people, trusting that we will be energized for the journey toward rebirth. Because tomorrow, tomorrow we push. And this pushing may not be comfortable, but remember, all it takes is 20 seconds of insane courage. Literally 20 seconds of just embarrassing bravery. And something great will come of it. Today, we claim that we are resting in the darkness of the womb, but transitioning toward new life. Breathe, then push with courage. We're gonna take a minute to practice. I invite you to pull out something to write with and your bulletin. And I wanna think about for a moment the people that maybe came to mind as you considered who you've lost touch with over these past months and years relationships you hope to rekindle. And for the next 20 seconds, accept the call to courage and take time to write their names on the edge of your bulletin as a commitment to reach out to them and tell them you miss them. Call them. After worship, you can use supplies in the gathering space to write them a note. <coughs> Be brave. Remember your safety nets reconnect with those you haven't seen, invite them to rejoin you here at church or out in the world. For God is doing a new thing, and out of our collective bravery, something great is bound to happen. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, we long for your wind and fire. We trust that you continue to move and we pray that our eyes and our ears and our arms are open to your movement. Thank you for the gift of your church and the bravery of the disciples who heeded the call to breathe and push so that we may bear witness to the fruits of their labors and stand on their shoulders as we live into your vision for your people today. Strengthen us to join in the legacy you built in them that we may take on the mantle as they did and lean into our call and the transitions yet to come. Amen.
This podcast is a ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Marietta. Come join us Sundays at 189 Church Street, Marietta, Georgia, or visit us online at fpcmarietta.org.